You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me... Back again, by not-so-popular demand, my co-hostist with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Man, I get no respect Yeah, by don't. popular demand. There's people who asked for me to be on it. They say the podcast is better when I'm on it. There is popular demand. I mean, I don't know how much demand, but there's some demand. That's why I said not-so-popular demand. I'm not getting I get no respect. <laughs> I get no respect at all. It's my podcast. Um... How you doing, Paul? Uh, I'm okay. I mean, now I just got back from uh, days of vacation. I drove from uh, Edmonton back to Vancouver via Drumheller, mm-hmm. Banff, Salmon Arm, Kelowna. Uh, long trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad to be back in British Columbia. I enjoy British Columbia. I can tell you there's things about Alberta I really, really love. And there's a few things about Albertans that I'm... Uh, hmm. You don't really, really love. I don't really, really, really love. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. So. Well, there let, you go. let me ask you this: When you were in Banff, did you see any people with the new vehicle hanging tags for Alaskan travel? Uh, I saw a vehicle with Alaskan plates, and I took a <gasps> photograph of it. And did did you see that? No. No, but maybe it was the Alaskan Paramour. Have you heard about this? No. What is it? Oh, okay. This was on my Weird and Wacky Wednesdays blog post, which is every Wednesday, by the way, if you're listening. Kylie.ca slash blog. Um, Weird and Wacky Wednesday this week featured an Alaskan man who got busted because he's made like half a dozen trips since the pandemic started to visit his girlfriend in Banff. And he drives and he says, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm traveling from Alaska to the contiguous states and I just need to drive through Canada. But actually... He's going to get some. Okay. So maybe it was. I mean, he was driving a white minivan, white Chrysler minivan, and I saw the Alaska plate, and it was at Lake Louise, so there was no way that you would be there. Um, you know, except Yeah, it's not on the way to anything. You don't stop in Lake Louise. Uh, or at least it's a low likelihood. I mean, it's possible you could be stopping there for gas because you miscalculated everything so badly, but really there's no good reason to be there. There's the least direct highway. Um, and he was pulling out of Lake Louise, the, you know, like the little town site there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I took a photograph of it and I posted it with the plate number and everything. And I and I didn't make any judgments about it. I was, you know, curious about it. I thought of all the different potential reasons. And somebody was really uh, uh, sort of vitriolically attacking me for posting that on there. So, you know, being judgmental by posting it. I didn't think I was judgmental in my comments, um, but judgmental for for uh, posting it and me as a lawyer posting this thing. And I'm like, so what? You know, I, I saw it. I thought it was uh, interesting to see it. I thought it was a point of conversation. I know that this uh, happens where people are uh, exploiting, saying I need to travel through Canada uh, as the excuse to come and go to the parks. And I mm-hmm. thought this was an interesting thing. It, they, you know, they may have some completely legitimate excuse and I wasn't posting it with the idea of, of uh, you know, finding them and humiliating them or anything. 
And if somebody posts my picture of my, you know, green Chevy pickup truck with the license plate on that, uh, I'm not, you know, I, I deal with it. It's out there. It's public. I'm out there in my truck driving it. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Well, the federal government, while you were away on vacation, enjoying yourself, well, the rest of us toiled away at the office. Um, while you were doing that, the federal government announced some new rules for Americans coming to Canada. And they are. And they are now. I, I missed this. Yeah. So I'm... if you're coming to, to do the driving to Alaska or Alaska to the States um, trip, you now have to register with CBSA that you're doing the trip. You're given a limit on the amount of time you can stay in Canada. And if you're beyond that, however many hours that they've calculated is reasonable to make the trip, then you're in violation. You get a special hang tag that you have to hang from your mirror mm -hmm. in your vehicle so everybody can tell that you're just a transient. You're only allowed to drive uh, directly on the main routes. So no side streets, no scenic route. You can stop for gas. You can stop to sleep at a hotel. And you can go to a drive through You can't go into a restaurant and sit down and have a nice meal. It's drive through only, gas station and hotel at night. Those are your options. And on the way out of Canada, so once you make it to the other border, you're required before you check in with the U.S. Customs officials, you're required to check in with the CBSA again to register your departure from Canada. So yeah, so sure usually you, you can just time. go. Yeah, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. And I see all sorts of problems with that. There's jurisdictions like Vancouver where... The city is very reluctant to give drive-through uh, business permits. Uh, yeah. They don't authorize permits to construct drive-throughs. Well, you also um, now can only um, drive through on certain points of entry. So you're not driving through at a point of entry, which would bring you through the city of Vancouver anyway. Okay. So, but there's other things too. Like as I was thinking about this person with the Alaska plate, I was thinking, you know, it's entirely possible that you're a Canadian citizen who lives seven months of the year in Alaska and, you know, the warm months of the year in in Banff. And therefore, you've got an Alaskan plate. I mean, there, there's so many different reasons that you could have. Yeah, you could be a student. Um, yeah. And anyway, a lot of people wanted me to rat them out, uh, call the 1-800 number. And it seemed to me that that was, uh, um, I, I don't know, that's that's distasteful. I was I was not enthusiastic about that, but I did see uh, I saw a number of um, really foreign plates on my trip. Um, you know, American plates, a number of American plates, a number of Quebec plates, mm -hmm. um, Saskatchewan plates. You never see any Manitoban plates because people from Manitoba generally just don't leave Manitoba, and if they do, they don't go back. <laughs> um, okay, sure. I've only been to Manitoba once, so. You didn't go back. No, that's true. I did not. Um, I'm going to have to one day, like a pilgrimage, you know, but... Métis pilgrimage? Yeah, Métis yeah. pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. I have to go see the homeland. Um, anyway, the... Okay, so that's that. Speaking of driving, and speaking of people who are violating the rules... This is not entirely driving related, but also while you were away, an announcement was made by the Vancouver Police Department that a number of officers, I think it's around 20 officers, are in self-isolation. Three officers have tested positive for COVID-19. 
And the reason that this happened was a very large house party with over 100 people in attendance that they had to go and break up. Where? In Vancouver. It's Vancouver but where Police, in Vancouver? Downtown in a condo. Oh you know, my one God. of those like private condo parties that are... Oh my God. Yeah, one of those, you know, where you buy a ticket and you go to this experience and it's extremely expensive. And Oh my God. Yeah. So they went to break that up. So these are course, people who are aged 19 age. to 26 or... No, no like no, no, millennials. Older. Oh, okay. Assholes. Hey, that's not very nice. In I... this circumstance, though. I mean, come <laughs> they on. They were being assholes. Yeah. But VPD has not released the names of the officers who got positive for COVID. They haven't released their badge numbers and they haven't publicly released where those officers might have been stationed between the time they broke up the party and the time they started showing symptoms and tested positive for COVID-19. That brings us back to an issue that we've been talking about a lot lately, Mm -hmm. and that is police officers not having PPE and Mm -hmm. not taking seriously their obligations to protect the public, serve and protect, by uh, distancing, particularly in traffic stops. Well, this is the thing, right? Like, all of this is taking place right when VPD has their twice annual, we're actually going to do some roadblocks in the city of Vancouver special, where they get all the counterattack funding, Tons of overtime shifts authorized for officers. Patrol members who aren't usually doing impaired driving enforcement are now stationed in these overtime shifts at roadblocks and interacting with hundreds of people in one night. And while it might be as simple as sticking the head in the car and going, have you had anything to drink tonight, sir? No? Okay, have a nice night. There's also people who went through a roadblock. How do you do contract? Contact tracing. It's impossible because you're never going to create a police file unless the person blows a warrant or a fail or is issued some other type of ticket or violation. So you have contact with that person. You've detained that person. You've stuck your face in their car and asked them if they've had mm-hmm. anything to drink tonight. You've exposed you, them. You maybe tested them. You might test them and they and blew they passed. something less than 50 milligrams. No police file created. No police file created. No record of that. And you might be standing there. You might have somebody who blows a fail and then passes the second test. And there's like 15, 20 minutes of interaction in close close contact. Maybe the person's placed in the back of the police vehicle. Vancouver Police Department does not use dividers in their vehicles. They're not prisoner transport vehicles. Think about those circumstances where the officer, you're having trouble, a person's having trouble blowing. And then yep. the officer blows to demonstrate. Yep. And then they turn it back to the person. Yes, it's a new mouthpiece. all over the device. The new mouthpiece, but you've still got the port, the sensor, the tube to the sensor. Like I The think port, the sensor, the tube to the sensor for the flow sensor, still exposing that person. At this, they should have gone public and told mm-hmm. us where those officers were. Yep. Who they were interacting with. And who with. they were interacting with. And where they were where, patrolling. Yeah, and notified people of, that they should be... If you were, if you were pulled if, over yeah, on on Southwest Marine Drive between five o'clock and eight o'clock on you know whatever time date, mm-hmm. contact us yeah. and we'll let you know whether or not you should self isolate or get tested or be tested. Yeah. Like to me, it's just so irresponsible for their duty to protect the public to first of all have not bothered to mask and glove officers to begin with. 
And then when they know that a minimum of three officers are positive for COVID and up to 20 officers are in self-isolation and who knows how many other police officer contacts all of those people had. So you have at least potentially 20 known cases of COVID if everybody that's isolating is positive and they may not be tested. Then you have all of the people that they could have interacted with, none of whom are getting the information. And there's no public exposure alert. Like, you know, the Cactus bus Club boy and, at yeah. Cactus Club gets... There's no bus boys at Cactus Club. But the bus boy at Cactus Club tests positive. We get a public exposure alert. We get dates. We get times for when that person was on shift. Why are we not getting this for well, the police? Same with airplanes. Same with flights. I just, you know, it's... It's it's, it's this- irresponsible. And it really, as I said at the be- at, earlier on here, to serve and protect... Um, you know, it really is so counter to that, that it, it exposes the hypocrisy that instead of viewing the public as people to serve and protect, it's just, you know, maintain my little, my little power here mm-hmm. and not, uh, not jeopardize our power by re- revealing the fact that we are as, uh, that, that we make mistakes and are fallible as, as others. Well, it's also part of that sort of narrative that breeds this thinking that, you know, police lives matter is an okay thing to say right now. And that, that flag that they, they fly and look, look, I get it. Police put their, put their lives at risk and obviously their lives matter. Now is not the time to talk about that. So do ambulance drivers yeah. and so do people who work in, uh, in grocery stores exposing lawyers, themselves to COVID and lawyers, lawyers going, down going to meeting. prison. Yeah. We have another outbreak in a correctional center. Oh, really? Yes. The same correctional center that there uh, was. So, you know, I, I just, it's to me, it's that we're better than everybody else attitude that isn't specific to police officers, but is unfortunately pervasive in policing, that the rules don't apply to police officers. And like, I get it, you know, oh, officer privacy, but for every other person who's been the cause of a public exposure event, as much information has been revealed about where they were and what they were doing as would be for these officers. But you deserve to know if you had an undocumented non-police file created interaction with a cop that put you at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it undermines again, confidence in the, in policing. And it's funny because it's like tone deaf, tone deaf policing to, um, to, to view it that way. So that was what I wanted to talk about, about that. Um, Now, you and I also talked about a couple different things over text message. One of them also involved the Vancouver Police Department. Some footage obtained by News 1130 shows a team of Vancouver police officers arresting quite violently and using taser Uh, A cyclist who the person who's filming the video, a bystander, says the officer ran over. Oh, I didn't know about the officer running over. You didn't watch to the end. Um, I watched quite a bit of it, and I bet you and I have a different view of it. I think we do. Yeah. Um, You know, the... um, I I, I didn't see enough at the beginning to explain it. It starts partway through. Like, it starts when the cyclist is already on the ground and already 
the arrest is already in progress. So you uh, can't see what leads to them being arrested. No, and the officer might be there to stop, uh, you know, it might be a burglar uh, riding away. It might be a mugger riding away on a bike. You don't know. You don't run them over with your patrol car, though. No, but there's things you can do. You can get in front of him. You could get right up to him. You could, you know, there's there's ways that you could stop him from continuing if they're not stopping. Right. Well, this, this bystander's... Um, at near the end of the video claims that the officer like ran the guy over on purpose. Well, we know that that's happened before with yes. VPD. Uh, you can talk to Andy Bonfield about that one. Um, the um, it's uh, yeah. So it's happened before. I guess it's not funny, but it's, it's disturbing. But I, from our perspective, you've got to understand we're criminal defense lawyers and we hear lots of um, worse things than that. So that's on the, you know, in some circumstances on the low spectrum of, of horror. But the uh, the arrest, it looks like the um, police try and pin him up against their cruiser mm-hmm. and sort of push him and he's resisting and ends up in the front seat of the cruiser. Yep. So then they, they say, get out of the car, get out of the car. And I guess he doesn't. No. Why he doesn't is not clear because you can't well, see. Well, that's the thing. So like the extent to which he's resisting... I mean, police officers, unfortunately, have trouble controlling their emotions when somebody's resisting arrest, just like anybody else. And it's embarrassing when somebody gets in your police cruiser. Especially it's when kind you of the push worst them thing. in. When you push them in after you've maybe run them over with your cruiser. Yeah. And you push them in the car, and then you're embarrassed about them being in the car, and then you're going to do anything to get them out. And, of course, you don't want them driving away in your cruiser, because that would be even further embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So they eventually they get him out. And then there's the standard thing of one officer standing back, sort of trying to block the guy doing the video without looking like he's blocking, recording the video. Civilian calls him out on that. Yeah. Um, The civilian is maybe over the top a bit, but in any event, the, uh, and then they, you know, pinning down to the ground and, and are arresting him and they look like they're doing it in quite a brutal fashion. And they did tase him inside the police vehicle. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the, the light from the taser so you know it's being used it's not just and they also the you can hear the officer shouting taser and the other officers back off because they don't want to get you know Tased. conducted yeah um that to me seemed excessive like as far as the guys in the vehicle you got three officers two on one side and one on the other side he's not going to drive away his feet aren't on the pedals his feet are sticking out the door so he's not really posing that much of a risk other than that he's in the vehicle. Tasing him is not an appropriate level of force. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think it's arguable. Um, he's in a vehicle and he's potentially a threat to put that vehicle in motion in that circumstance. Um, I never like to see a taser used because it seems to be a particularly dangerous thing that can kill people. I don't like to see it used in those circumstances. The officer at the driver's side who is dealing with the guy's legs out realizes halfway through that dealing with his feet is not going to get me anywhere here. He can just keep kicking me and kicking me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was surprised that they got him out of the car in the manner that they did. But in any event, they succeeded. I I mean, I've I've watched brutal arrests before. It didn't seem to be the most brutal arrest. No. but um, it was an embarrassing thing. It was embarrassing that he ended up in the cruiser. And I thought after that, I saw one officer knee, knee him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one punched him in the head. And, yeah. 
and uh, that of course is not called for. And he's on the ground. It's an assaulting assaulting somebody who's under arrest, and I hate to see it. Um, and you know, you could charge an officer in those circumstances, but at the same time, I don't know that it would be in the public interest to charge them. I would, if I was the judge, I would likely be looking at it saying, I understand the. Um, the, the way that emotions were running high there and I wouldn't expect the officers to make the perfect decision. But of course, emotions run high and officers are expected to make the perfect decision in lots of occasions and that's what they're trained for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's why they don't normally just, you know, and shoot people. People are faulted <laughs> when their emotions are running high and they don't make the perfect decision and they Always. resist arrest. Always. So, you know, I, I... It's back to that double standard. I know. I know. Hate the double standard. Now that's not. But the... the problem that that you see generally is something you already alluded to, and that's police officers not viewing themselves as part of the community, viewing themselves as uh, um, sort of arrogantly controlling the uh, the wild animals in the community. Well, and and even the move of blocking the camera, which you see in a lot of these videos, where an officer will stand and they you know they just try and look like they're observing, but they're obviously trying to block the shot. If you have nothing to hide. If you're not using excessive force, if you're appropriately conducting an arrest and you have a legitimate reason for what you're doing, you do not need to put an officer between the camera and between what what you're what's going on. Oh, I know. As soon as you see that, it it that to it, me just every just, time turns my stomach. Yeah, and every time I see it, I think you know you you are just damaging your own credibility by doing this. Uh, it's not going to assist you in any way, shape, or form by uh, blocking the camera because everybody's going to see what you're doing. Now you're that, trying to hide evidence. That's not the only video that surfaced this week of a re- really violent arrest involving a motor vehicle. There's also a video from rural Alberta where the Alberta sheriffs arrest a 15-year-old child who is driving a tractor in the early morning hours while working on his family farm. And of course, like many places in Alberta, the highway runs between the fields and he needed to get use the highway to move the tractor from one end to another. That's the reason you can get a learner's permit at age 14 in Alberta. Yeah, and also the reason why there are certain exemptions for farm vehicles Exactly. for motor vehicle laws. Unfortunately for this 15-year-old, at the time that he was trying to get from one end of the farm to the other, the police had set up a check stop. And of course, in Alberta, the sheriffs do the mandatory demands. That's just policy, mandatory demand everybody. 15-year-old kid doesn't actually have a driver's license, has 13 brothers and sisters, and like is like a farm boy. Like, that's all he does. Yeah. And is driving this tractor, sees the traffic backed up, figures, I'll just go around it. I'm in a tractor, so he can kind of take the ditch. Yeah. Goes around. The sheriffs do not like this. So they demand that he stop, and then they violently drag him out of the tractor. This poor kid has no idea what's going on. They drag him out of the tractor. They drag him onto the ground. Um, They ask him to provide a breath sample. He says, why? What for? Because in his mind, he's just working well, the no, farm. There's no way he's drinking. He's yeah. 15. Yeah, it's like, in Alberta, it's like driving four the o'clock in the tractor. morning. Yeah. Like, he's just doing farm work. Or first thing in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And the they he says, why? And they said, that's it. You're refusing. 
And then he's violently arrested for refusal. There's like six sheriffs on him. I haven't seen this video. I want to see it. It's horrific. That is awful. But it's exactly what we know happens. And it's only saved by video. And these refusal circumstances are the fucking worst. And I think of anybody who's touched their, put their lips on the ASD should never be convicted of Mm -hmm. ASD refusal. ASD refusal is, to my mind, after 20 years of doing this, the most disgusting thing that we've got in the criminal code. I think it is just absolutely repulsive that we give people criminal records for this based Mm -hmm. on police officers' opinion about how you were blowing Mm -hmm. into a little crappy, shitty roadside device in circumstances now where it's a mandatory demand not even an odor of liquor on the person's breath. They don't even Not even think a suspicion you've that you've got any alcohol in your body. Nothing. The whole the whole rationale originally behind the refusal offense was that they didn't want to incentivize people going, oh, I'm not going to blow and hide the fact that they were drinking. But that was in circumstances where officers looked at somebody and thought, eh, I think this guy's been drinking. I don't have enough for an arrest, but I need to build my grounds. But now you just look at somebody and you go, oh, well, blow. Yeah. That's, you know, we're going to have a society where thousands and thousands of people who never would have had criminal records, like this 15-year-old, you know, he's not, he's going to have a youth record, but still. He's um, not going to get convicted. No, <coughs> I hope not. But he didn't, he didn't immediately comply, which is what the law says. The law says you refuse if you say, why should I do this test? Which, again, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we should, as a country, be ashamed about it and the fact that the federal government supported this and I will not forgive Jody Wilson-Raybould for supporting this current version of the legislation and the more I think about it you know like that the, the advantage that you and I have had is that we've had ASDs in the office for like 14 years yeah but, but both you and I have had separate experiences where we as people who have blown into ASDs probably more than anyone probably as much as the people who work in the factory (laughs) yeah or as much as like a calibrator who's been doing it for 20 years probably more yeah all the time i still have had times where i have not produced a suitable sample and i know how much air is required and i know how hard i have to blow and we both had times with both of the two approved screening devices that are approved in bc one's not used anymore where they just didn't they malfunctioned and you had one where it just kept saying, no, go, no, go, no, go. And I had one where it just kept saying, blow, blow, blow. And I was blowing like crazy. And in both cases, we managed to get video of it. Yep. And that's you and me trying it for our own fun to, and enjoyment. Well, and to determine whether or not I could drive. <laughs> yeah. No, that was your, that was that for was you. It. That was not for me. I was experimenting that day and it just didn't work. For you, yeah. Um. So that, you know, that's scary. Anyway, I think, I think ASG refusal is going of a reckoning with mandatory demands. I honestly think that one day a judge is just going to say, this is absurd. Like to criminalize somebody who exhibited no signs of having committed a crime, who said, I don't agree with you conducting a search of my body on zero grounds whatsoever. And I I think there are a lot of judges out there who are not going to be able to stomach the idea that somebody could be convicted for saying no to that. Moving from a warrantless search to a search that is only authorized by the criminal code, but with some grounds, to what we have now, 
which is a search authorized by the criminal code with absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were all bent out of shape about the uh, arbitrariness of it and the fear that it would um, that it would be directed against minorities or or young been. people or yeah, and I, I think it probably has been. Um, but in the end, really, I think the thing that I find the most repulsive about it is that it uh, is used in this manner uh, with circumstances where people refuse because they're looking at it going, what what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and they just ask that question and then they end up, you know, charged with a criminal offense. And I, you know, I'm, I'm half laughing here, but I'm just like, I, I'm half laughing because I want to cry. I, I, I was conducting a hearing um, recently where I looked at it and I thought, oh my God, like this fucking poor person has been put through this and it's exactly what we don't want to see and it's always those claims of oh it won't be applied that way because you know we're all so reasonable here prosecutors across the country are also reasonable bullshit so i i'm upset about it anyway well i actually noticed you know you, t- you talked about the arbitrariness and the way that it's being used against people of color I've noticed a pattern in IRP files, and I don't know if you've noticed it as well. I was talking about it with one of our article students, our new article student, Miriam, and I were talking about this. Uh, There is a pattern with who gets put in handcuffs during an IRP investigation after they fail the first test. And it doesn't matter how you're behaving. You can be perfectly polite and calm and cooperative and described by the officer as being polite, calm, and cooperative. But if you're not white, you're handcuffed. And the white boys do not get handcuffed. Young white women do not get handcuffed unless they're being combative, which many of them strangely are. (laughs) But, But by and large, it is the people of color who are put in handcuffs and the white and white passing people are not. Well, we should go back. We could go back through our files and look at that. But sometimes it's not in the police report, and it's only something that our clients disclose to us, and sometimes they don't necessarily disclose it to us. Yeah, it's not I necessarily think... the direct question that we ask. No, we ask it. Do we? Every yeah. time? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, that would be interesting. And police don't record necessarily whether they handcuff somebody, but it would be interesting to do an audit of police files to see how often people are handcuffed and whether there is a a racial connection. And I bet you there is. Well, IRP files are the perfect thing for that. So if, um, if you're a law student and you're looking for a project, you could uh, come and we could uh, take you and you could go through our files. We'd have to make you an employee. So there's, there's a solicitor client privilege and all of the requirements that you comply with everything that's necessary in a law office, but you could go through a, you know, 200 files and, and see if there is in fact a pattern. It might be an interesting paper. And so, yeah, if you're listening and you're interested in that, contact us. We'll include our contact information at the end of the podcast to make you listen through to the end, but it's worth listening through to the end because... It's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week.
I love the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. There's a few to choose from this week. I actually think we're going to do two this week. Okay, good. Because I, I didn't think you could narrow it down. Yeah, you have you had one. You tell me yours. No, no. I, I leave it to you. I sent them both to you. This is your show. I'm okay. just the co You don't even know which ones I've picked. Well, that's the thing. Well, the first one was a Florida man who got a DUI driving a golf cart. Golf cart? I thought it was a tractor. Uh, uh, lawn tractor. Oh, you and I are thinking about a different one. But you're oh, right. Okay. There was that there Florida was that. man, too. Yeah. And, yep. he's, and he he's just said, <laughs> might as well just arrest me. I'm drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, you can get a DUI on a riding lawnmower, in case you were wondering. It's a once-a-year occurrence. It's a story every year. Yeah. Every year, somebody thinks, I'm going to outsmart the lawmaker. Well, I'm going to ride a mower. Well, there's also been the guys who have their like their cooler that's converted into a cooler they can drive. Oh, in Australia, yeah. Uh, uh, there's, so there's been there's been that before. Basically, anything that's got a motor on it, people think that they can, you know, <laughs> if it's small enough, they'll be excused. Nobody's going to uh, stop to check them on their riding mower. But of course, if they're driving their riding mower down the ditch at, you know, two in the morning home from the bar. We know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're always tempted to take your pool noodle down the ditch at two in the morning on that's your true. way home from that's the bar. true of course in canada you know that a, a pool noodle is also a conveyance so you know in canada you can just be walking down the street with your pool noodle and if you uh if you may theoretically have been uh over 80 milligrams in the two hours after your pool noodling then, then there you go you're you are you're, a criminal you're in done. canada thanks yeah. jody wilson raybould don't get in a pool swim and then get drunk after well you don't even have to swim you just have to be operating a conveyance right. something that can be used as a conveyance mm -hmm. so wandering around with a pool noodle may be enough yeah many of those things the second ridiculous driver of the week and this one i think i told you about but i didn't send you the story was a man who decided to find the answer to the age-old question is it illegal to masturbate in your car yeah, this is a, a funny one. I've seen this story. I'm, I mean, I've seen it has been on the news before of people who were caught jerking off, caught in the car. jerking off in their car. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, sometimes your car is just really sexy. Well, no, it's the only venue you've got. Yeah, you know, you have a roommate. You, 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 maybe you are living in your car. There's lots of people. I mean, in 2008, when the economy crashed in the U.S., there was lots and lots of people living in their cars. Uh, if you have a motorhome, of course, you know, you're fine. Go ahead, masturbate. Um, if you've got a minivan and the windows are, are tinted, you know, if it's, you've got curtains, you're probably fine. Tinted windows, I don't know. Anyway, what happened with this guy? Well, he learned the answer, which... Is this is this the guy who was in the Circle K parking yeah. lot? Yeah, the Circle K circle jerk. Yeah, the Circle K probably isn't the best part to do it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. park if, in a field if, or if, something. Yeah. Find an empty parking lot. If you're going to masturbate in your car, if you have no choice but to do it in your car, park somewhere where nobody will see you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's like the old Park saying. in the trees with the bushes around you and the... Yeah, well, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? If a guy jerks off in a car and no one's around to see it, is it really illegal? 
Yeah, I don't think it is in those circumstances. I certainly Not can't in see Canada. How. No, because the whole idea there is that it's you're doing something that is it's um, an indecent act. Indecent, indecent act has to be an indecent act that's going to be indecent to somebody. If there's nobody if around, there's nobody to around, and you, the decency. If you're out in the middle of your farm or you're in your backyard and there's hedges all around and you take your drop your pants, there's nobody to be indecent to. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that <laughs> it's not indecent to be naked wandering around on Wreck Beach because everybody knows that it's accepted. You could probably jerk off on Wreck Beach and everybody would be like, eh. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Two ridiculous drivers. Yep. Bonus week for you. If you need to reach out to us, for a driving law-related issue or a question or you're a law student and you want to fund research project on racial inequity and handcuffing and IRP investigations, which is extremely nuanced, but probably fascinating, give us a call. You can find us at 604-685-8889 or online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Driving Law.